friend, and welcome to episode 10 of this Bible study podcast, Reading Through the Gospel of Luke. I am so glad you're here with me today. We've got some good stuff here today. Three important sections, three sweet actions from Jesus. We got Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 26. If you'd like to read along, the reading plan is linked in the description of each of these episodes. You can download it. It is free, or you can just listen along. Let's do it. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Open up our hearts and minds to the truth of your word. While the crowd was pressing in on Jesus and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there alongside the lake. The fishermen had disembarked and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, he asked him to put out a short distance from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. After he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and lower your nets for a catch. Simon said in reply, Master, we've worked hard all night and have caught nothing, but at your command I will lower the nets. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets were tearing. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. They came and filled both boats so that they were in danger of sinking. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at the knees of Jesus and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For astonishment at the catch of fish they had made seized him and all those with him. And likewise James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners of Simon. Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. When they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Now there is a man full of leprosy in one of the towns where he was. And when he saw Jesus, he fell prostrate, pleaded with him, and said, Lord, If you wish, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand, touched him, and said, I do will it, be made clean. And the leprosy left him immediately. Then he ordered him not to tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. The report about him spread all the more, and great crowds assembled to listen to him and to be cured of their ailments, but he would withdraw to deserted places to pray. One day, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. The power of the Lord was with him for healing. And some men brought on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They were trying to bring him in and set him in his presence, but not finding a way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the tiles into the middle in front of Jesus. When he saw their faith, he said, As for you, Your sins are forgiven. Then the scribes and Pharisees began to ask themselves, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who but God alone can forgive sins? Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them in reply, What are you thinking in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise. Pick up your stretcher and go home. He stood up immediately before them, picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. Then astonishment seized them all, and they glorified God and struck with awe. They said, we have seen incredible things today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, so we've got 
kind of three major sections to what we just read today. So we'll start with the call of Simon. So it takes place on the shore of the Lake of Gennesaret. And this is just another name for the Sea of Galilee, which we talked about yesterday being the big sea in the middle of the region of Galilee. So on the lake shore, there's a big crowd. Uh, Jesus sees two boats and I guess just gets in one of them. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't say if he asked or anything, just says he got in a boat. Uh, and then Simon takes him out and we met we met Simon yesterday and Simon's obedient just just takes him out probably because in the way that Luke tells the story that he healed Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law just previously uh, so Simon is gladly obedient to take him out in the boat i imagine that the boat is used to create a little space between Jesus and the crowd pressing in like no one can really press in on him when he's out in a boat on the water so it gives a little room for him um, it's the only only time we see Jesus do this in Luke, but uh, there's a handful of other times in the other Gospels, like Matthew 13, 1, Mark 4, 1, where Jesus does the same thing, where he like preaches from a boat on a shore, uh, probably to give him a little bit of space. Well, Jesus suggests that Simon, once they're done, once they're done doing the preaching, that Simon go out a little bit further and to lower their nets to try to fish a little bit more. And Simon says, look, we haven't caught anything all day, but he obeys because, again, Jesus healed his mother-in-law uh, just the other day. So Simon obeys and they catch fish in abundance. It says that they had to bring another boat and they filled all the boats. This is an incredible, incredible amount of fish, if you can imagine. Like, probably more fish than you would maybe even imagine being in this lake. Uh, and maybe this is a, this is kind of a larger Bible thought. And maybe Luke is conflating two scenes in his account. So, if we look at the other Gospels, so... Mark 1.16 and Matthew 4.18. In that version of Jesus calling the fishermen, he simply calls them and there's no miraculous catch. In John's gospel, we have towards the end in chapter 21 verses 1 through 11, the post-resurrection appearance of Jesus where the fishermen are off in a boat and they haven't caught anything and Jesus suggests to cast it on the other side and then they have a similar miraculous catch of fish. This story almost seems to be a combination of those two. And maybe some clues as to how maybe this is the case. Uh, So in verse 8, well, previously, Simon is simply called Simon. And then for whatever reason, he's referred to in verse 8 as Simon Peter. And Simon doesn't get his name changed to Peter until much later on in the story, which we'll see. Simon also calls Jesus Lord when he gets off of the boat, which is kind of really only a post-resurrection name for Jesus. He doesn't really get called Lord uh, until afterwards. And he also, we also find Simon kneeling and calling himself a sinful man, which makes perfect sense after what we come to find, if we know the, the larger story, makes perfect sense after Simon maybe just betrayed Jesus and denied Jesus in the way that he does. So Luke has possibly combined the stories, and this is kind of, again, just like a, a larger Bible thought, but maybe he's doing this to paint a story for us. That one Jesus gives Simon a hint of the abundance of discipleship, uh, gives, us, gives him a hint of what incredible life could be in following Jesus Christ. And it's, it's for us, too, to see that incredible abundance if we choose to follow him. And two, that we find Simon 
responding by going to his knees and saying, I'm not worthy to follow you, which is truly the proper orientation to Jesus. And maybe Luke's saying that to us, that that should be the way that we respond to Jesus. When Jesus approaches us, we, we ought to humble ourselves the way that Simon Peter does. He says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. But yet, Jesus responds to Simon the way, he, the way he does to us. He says, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid. He says, follow me. That even if we don't have it all together, Jesus invites us and we too should not be afraid. So he invites Simon and Simon takes up the call. Uh, also, along with him, we find James and John, who are the sons of Zebedee and are his fishing partners, listed, listed in Luke. So the, the guys with the other boat. The one, who gets the, <laughs> the one who gets the short end of the stick in Luke's gospel here is Andrew, uh, who in all the other gospels is listed as Simon's brother, his fishing partner. For whatever reason, Luke doesn't mention him. He gets mentioned later on when they list all 12. Uh, but Andrew gets the short end of the stick here. For whatever reason, good guy, Andrew. But here we find the first four apostles. Uh, kind of implied in Andrew, but if, if we look at the other gospels, that Andrew's maybe along with the group. So you have our first four. And they're all fishermen which is such an interesting thing. Like, why does Jesus choose four fishermen to be his first apostles? Because he gives this interesting line where he says, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishers of men. And maybe Jesus is like just doing a play on words of like of fishermen or whatever. But as I was reading through this, I found this and I think that this is so neat. That in Jeremiah chapter 16, verses 15 through 16, the prophet Jeremiah says, as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of the land of the north and out of all the countries to which he had banished them. I will bring them back to the land I gave their ancestors. Look, I will send many fishermen to catch them. (laughs) Now, whether, whether, again, Jeremiah was being literal or using some kind of symbolic play on words of language here, Jesus is fulfilling this the prophet Jeremiah in such a neat way. How cool is it that the first apostles called to join Jesus in gathering the lost people are are actually fishermen, just like the prophet Jeremiah said, uh, which is so, so neat. I find that super cool. Just like a very small way Jesus fulfills the prophet Jeremiah uh, to be fishers of men, that the first four are all fishermen. And their response is they, they choose to follow Jesus. It says they left everything. In some of the other gospels in this version, it kind of lists stuff they leave behind, like their nets, their boats. One of the gospels says they leave their dad, that Zebedee was with James and John. But Luke says simply everything. They left everything, which is a theme for Luke's gospel that we will see many times as we read through it of complete detachment total detachment, radical following of Jesus, leaving everything behind. And maybe that's a theme for us too, that we, when Jesus says, follow me, should radically answer the call as well. So that's the first call. Call Simon. We have we have a little bit of a crew now, a few apostles. So then we, we go into a town and they encounter a man with leprosy. And this is kind of an interesting note because lepers are supposed to be out of the city, away from people because they're highly contagious. So it's a, it's a bold move for the leper to be inside the town. How, why is the leper in the city? That he has, he's coming to find Jesus, to be healed. Boldness of faith for the leper to come into the city and say, if you wish, you can make me clean. He believes, he has faith that Jesus can heal him. And I guess kind of a 
another note that we could gain from what he says is kind of implied when he says, if you wish you can make me clean. He's almost saying, I know you can. I believe you can make me clean, but I, I don't know if I know if you want to. Maybe as a personal application, is this us sometimes where we, where we say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I, I believe that, that that's true and I know what he does. I know what he can do. I just don't know if he wants to do it for me. And how does Jesus respond to this leper? He says, I do will it. He says the same thing to us. I do will it. I do want to give you my abundance, my riches, and my healing. And he touches the leper and heals him. Now, Jesus touching a leper is pretty significant as well. Because again, lepers are outcast. They are highly contagious and sick. And they're considered ritually unclean. So touching a leper would make Jesus unclean. But by doing this, Jesus essentially flips the purity laws. That what the general purity laws and the ritual uncleanliness would, would be that an unclean thing makes a clean person unclean. So touching, touching an unclean leper would make a clean person unclean rather than the reverse. But it's exactly the reverse that Jesus shows us in this example. That contact with the clean makes the unperson clean. Kind of a, an image an image to think about this would be like um, the, the general purity laws kind of look like if you had clean water and you dumped dirty water into the clean water. The water is now dirty, right? Because you, you dumped in dirty water and the, the water that was clean is now dirty. But what Jesus does is incredible and miraculous that you take uh, dirty water, an unclean individual, pour clean water into it and all of a sudden it becomes clean water. That's incredible. It doesn't make logical sense, but that's what Jesus does. The miraculous healing he does. So he heals the leper, flips the purity laws, and says to the leper, go show yourself to the priest. Now, this is, we can, we have to go back to Leviticus chapter 14 to find out what this, what this kind of ritual offering, this purification thing, which Moses prescribed that Jesus is referring to. It's a very, it's a super weird ritual for cleansing lepers. So Leviticus chapter 14 verses two through nine talks about that the priest will take two birds, he kills one and then dips the other in its blood and then sprinkles the blood on the cleansed leper and then lets the alive bird go free. Very weird. <laughs> um, then Leviticus chapter 14, right after that, 10, verses 10 through 14, says that eight days later, the individual will bring a lamb. The priest slaughters the lamb and then marks the individual, the cleansed leper, on certain parts of their body with the blood of the lamb. Now, b- both of these things sound super strange, super weird out of context. But if we, if we know the gospel, if we know the story, about Jesus and Jesus Christ crucified and the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, pouring out on the cross. How cool is this? That we who are sick, who are sinful and broken, have been washed in the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God. Just similar to these these weird ritual cleansings. We too, washed in the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice. Jesus, the Lamb of God. And we then are purified and set free. It's the gospel that allows for these super strange Old Testament like ritual practices to make sense. 
They're like killing a bird, dipping it in the other bird's blood, sprinkling the blood on people. Like that just, it seems strange. That's exactly what happens on the cross. Jesus becomes a sacrifice. His blood pours out from his side and we are washed in the blood. We are purified and we are set free. I think that that's super neat. Uh, But Jesus tells him to go do this and to simply go do this, to go to the priest, do the prescribed ritual cleansing, and he says to tell no one. So again, we have this messianic secret that Jesus doesn't want people to know about all the things that's going on just yet. But he doesn't keep the secret. It says that the crowds just continue to grow. So probably the leper told some people. And we now find that Jesus has to withdraw to deserted places to get away from the crowd and to pray. Again, the theme that we'll continue to see is that Jesus prays. Luke lists it throughout the gospel. And Jesus goes off to pray. But this is an incredible note as well. That what we find here, when it says that Jesus now has to withdraw to deserted places, is that Jesus has switched places with the leper. The leper, who was once an outcast, who the leper was forced to be out of the city, forced out into deserted places. Jesus heals him, and now Jesus has become forced to be in deserted places, forced out of the city by the crowds. Isn't that God's incredible healing mercy? Jesus took the leper's place and how Jesus has become the outcast in the deserted places. Man, man, man. Okay, we've got one more section. Let's try to get through this. This is going to be, I got so much to say. Okay, so we have the healing of the paralytic. So we get to a point where Jesus is teaching and now we have the Pharisees entering into the story. We're introduced to the Pharisees. It says, it says there's a big group of them gathered too. They're from like all over the place. Pharisees are essentially uh, the religious leaders, uh, the Israelite religious leaders. They're uber focused on the law and ritual practices. They'll be kind of the antagonist of our story in most places of Jesus's public ministry. And we'll hear much more about them as we go. But this section right here is the beginning of a few challenges from the Pharisees, a few questions from the Pharisees. And we'll, we'll read through the rest of them tomorrow, but this is the first one. So Jesus is teaching and a group brings in a man on a stretcher. It says they can't find a way in. So they decide to go through the roof, which is just ridiculous. It also, uh, here we find, it says that they go through the tiles in the roof. uh, But Mark's version of this story says that they dug through the roof. Most likely that version is correct, that they dug through the roof because Luke's gospel is written for like a Gentile audience for like, Greeks and Romans and and non-Jews. So they're mostly, Luke's description of the houses are likely Hellenized or made to sound like the the Gentile houses or or Greek versions of houses that maybe had tiles on their roof. But maybe the the houses in where Jesus is, actually they had to dig through the roof. So let's imagine this, that some randos just dug a hole through some random person's roof to get to Jesus. Why that's okay? I don't know. But clearly Jesus was doing something incredible enough for the person not to be too mad about it. Or maybe they were, who knows. But Jesus sees this because they they drop him right in front of Jesus. They go right through the roof, right in front of Jesus. And what's Jesus going to do? He's got to do something. And he responds in a very interesting way. He says, your sins are forgiven. Which is probably weird in the circumstance that someone who uh, was was sick and paralyzed, just came before him. But So why does, why does Jesus say this? First, I think this is also interesting to note because Jesus elsewhere in the gospel will try to flip the notion, uh, this kind of preconceived notion that many of the Israelites would have had that 
sin leads to suffering. That people's kind of physical ailments or their curses and afflictions are the result of sin. This is kind of the argument of Job's friends in the book of Job that they say, you must have done something really bad, Job, to, to get all of this, all of this suffering upon you. Jesus oftentimes through the rest of the gospels will try to flip that notion that that's not necessarily true. Um, so again, why does, why would Jesus say this? That maybe and probably that this man must have had actual legitimate sins that needed to be forgiven. And this, of course, is Jesus's primary concern. That Jesus, before he physically heals the man, takes care of him spiritually, forgives his sins, because this is Jesus's primary concern before physical stuff, taking care of the spiritual person. But I think this is probably also in order to prove something in the Pharisees. Because Jesus, the Pharisees are all there. So Jesus says that he is forgiving the man's sins. So Jesus is doing this to prove that he can forgive their sins. And then the Pharisees think, who but God alone can forgive sins? And they're correct. That's a, it's a correct assessment by the Pharisees. Then we, so they're thinking that in their heads. And Jesus says, it says of Jesus, that Jesus knew their thoughts. And again, we have Jesus presented as a mind reader, which I find amusing each time that it's written this way in Luke's gospel. But Jesus gives them an epic response. He says, I'll do you one better. Why not Why not forgive sins when you could just say, rise, get up, and walk? And he says to the man, I say to you, get up and go home. And so it is. This is an incredible miracle by Jesus. And what's very important here is this is a big miracle in front of a big crowd. So Jesus is kind of revealing a little bit more of himself. And what is everyone thinking about Jesus at this point? Who knows? But it says, we have seen incredible things today. And so have we, my friend, as we've been reading through the gospel, we have just seen three powerhouse miracles from Jesus, a miraculous catch of fish, an abundant catch of fish, the cleansing of a leper, the flipping of purity laws, and the healing of a paralytic, telling him to rise and walk. We too should be in awe of Jesus, just as these people were in the moment. May we continue to grow in our awe and our appreciation for the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ. Great story. Love these stories. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Can't wait to do it again tomorrow. Let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Amen.